Well, good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Hope you're having a great day. Uh, we're looking forward to a good rest of our day as well. And so thanks for being here and being with us. Thanks to Bloomville for joining us and being a part of our service. And I hope you're having, like I said, I hope you're having a great day. You hopefully with that extra hour of rest, you're feeling sort of refreshed and feeling good. And, uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> let's clap for the extra hour. Um, we're, uh, they actually say statistically that on this day, the day after the time change, there are less heart attacks and less automobile accidents. So uh, get out this afternoon and take a drive. <laughs> Enjoy it. And uh, it's, it's good to be here. We're looking forward to those next couple of Sundays. Hopefully you'll take advantage of those opportunities to invite somebody to be here next Sunday for the veterans and the Sunday after that for the Burger Bowl. Uh, today we're starting a new series, Pastor Kevin's away on vacation, and we're going to be talking about the hard sayings of Jesus over the next few weeks. We're talking about things that Jesus said that are sometimes hard to understand and uh, even more sometimes hard to put into practice, because so much of what he said is, uh, is, is tough and demanding. It's, you know, one of, I think one of the biggest misconceptions about Jesus is that he was this tranquil religious guru who went around spreading peace and love and groovy vibes. You know, so much of what he said, again, is, is, not that, is not that way. He is, in fact, divisive and polarizing. Jesus, divisive. How do you know that? Well, because he said so. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, he said, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Do you not think it came to bring peace on the earth? That'd be a fun verse to preach on at Christmas sometime, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> see, see, he didn't leave people with, a, with any middle ground. It was all or nothing. They either loved him or they hated him. I think one of the greatest ironies today is that people still tend to think of Jesus as boring. Nobody in his day would have thought of Jesus as boring. Did they hate him? Some of them, Yes. Did they think he was nuts? Some of them, absolutely. But no one ever thought he was boring. And it's the same today when you hear what he has to say, especially in some of these hard sayings. You either love him or you hate him. You can't walk away bored. I know some of you are saying, yeah, but the, you know, the guy delivering the message isn't that exciting. Um, I get that. But if, but if you really listen to Jesus' message... You can't be bored by what he said because what he is saying, what he is saying is mind-blowing. It forces you to make a decision, to make a call, to take a stand. It's all or nothing. He draws a line in the sand and, and, and tells us to get on one side or the other. He leaves us with no options. That's where we start today in Luke chapter 9. Towards the end of the chapter, verse 57, Luke 9, 57, Jesus on, the way to, on his way to Jerusalem, he has this encounter with several men. You know, I, I love when Jesus sits down to teach and he's got these great sermons like the Sermon on the Mount uh, or his upper room discourse. Um, but sometimes these one-on-one -on -one discussions are really interesting to me. And Jesus has three of them quickly right here in Luke 9. Again, on his way to Jerusalem, we read verse 57, it says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, 
the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. Here's Jesus' response to these three guys who are saying they're going to follow him. That'd be, that's pretty good news, isn't it? They say they're going to follow him. I, we'd be excited about that, right? Somebody said, I've made the decision to follow Jesus. Three guys, I, we're going to follow Jesus. But Jesus is like, hey, wait a second. These guys are saying that, but they don't know what it's all about. So he's going to bring them face to face with the reality of what's involved in following him. It's, it's like he's saying, let me make a few things clear about what following me means. And as he responds to each one of them, the picture gets more clear for us as well. That's important for us, right? I mean, we're, so many of us in here would say we're followers of Jesus. Well, we want to know what that is all about. This is Jesus telling us. And it's, he responds here to this first guy who comes along. He seems all, the guy seems all eager and willing. He's telling Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. That sounds really good, doesn't it? I mean, he's going to follow wherever. It's just blanket statement, total commitment. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. In Matthew's gospel, we're told this guy was a scribe. He's an expert in the law. And, and what he does here is sort of typical of scribes. Sometimes these law experts would go and they would attach themselves to a teacher. Because by hanging around this teacher for a while, it raised their status as a scribe in people's minds. It had social and economic impact for them. It was a prestige thing. So they would come along, they'd hang, attach themselves, and then they could sort of name drop. You know, I was taught by this guy. Uh, I, I spent time with so-and-so. This guy's my friend. He even signed his book for me. You know, I, they, they would attach themselves this way. So following that person was all about what they could get out of it. But here's Jesus with one of these guys saying he's going to follow him. And Jesus is like, oh, you're going to follow me anywhere, huh? Let me paint a picture for you. You're looking for prestige. You want comfort. You want to feel good. Let me point something out to you. You know how, you know how foxes have holes and birds have nests, right? Even animals have places to lay down at night. You get that, right? But the Son of Man, he's talking about himself. It's the title he uses most of himself. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The creator of the world has less than the animals that he created. And what Jesus is pointing out to this guy is that following him wasn't going to make this guy's life easier. You want evidence of that? Look at Jesus' life. He had just been denied a place to stay by the Samaritans. The Samaritans. People that nobody liked. 
they reject Jesus. They're not going to let him stay there. They wouldn't let him in. The people of Gadara had already asked him to leave. He'd been driven out of his hometown of Nazareth. You go back and look, look at Luke chapter 4. Driven out of his hometown. His adopted city of Capernaum where he did a lot of his ministry. They've rejected him. Eventually the whole nation would reject him and cry for his crucifixion. He had nothing. And his point is, you want to follow me? You can't expect more. His point to this guy is, you can't expect, you know what his point is to us? Your follower? What, what are you following me for? Of course, we know as, as, as believers that there are a lot of blessings to being a Christian. We know that our Heavenly Father gives us good gifts. But it can't be that our motivation for following him is about what we get. Because the road to the cross begins with a demand for self-denial. I mean, think about, remember, remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he started it out with, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Following Jesus begins with the poor in spirit and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It begins with those who want and know that they need grace and forgiveness and eternal life. They know they're in a desperate situation before God, and they need what Jesus has so badly and wanted so badly that they put no conditions on it. So if we're saying we're followers of Jesus, what he's saying here raises a question for us. Why are we following? Are we choosing to follow because we think it's going to make things easier for us? that we gain some level of comfort? Or are we choosing to follow the way of the cross? And while we know there's no cost to us for our salvation, we know Jesus paid the cost completely so that when we come to him, it's a free gift that we're given, nothing that we've earned or deserved in any way. There's, it's a free gift but there is a cost to living out our salvation. And because of the greatness of what we've been given as a gift, there's no cost too great, is there? Jesus is essentially making the hard statement, following him can't be about us. And he forces us to ask ourselves, what are we following him for? Are we wanting more for us? Or are we wanting more for him? There's no middle ground. Boy, it's easy to get caught up in that comfort thing, isn't it? Where it's all about what God can do for us and what God can give to us. But Jesus doesn't give us that option. So what are you about? Comfort or the cross? Interesting, there's no response from this guy, you know. <laughs> a minute ago, he's all about, I'm going to fault you anywhere. Jesus gives one sentence to him, and he's like, silent. I don't have anything to say. Maybe he's realizing 
in light of what Jesus is saying, maybe I need to go back and reevaluate. Maybe I need to go take stock of where I'm at. Maybe when we read this, maybe that should be our response as well. You need to go take another look. See, ask myself, why am I following? Second man comes along and he seems like he's got a real need. He's got to go bury his dad. I mean, there's nothing more significant than that, right? Burying a parent. Put yourself in his place. He's lost someone that he loves. You're thinking that Jesus will surely understand when he explains. And then Jesus answers him, and what he says sort of knocks you back. You want to go bury your dad? Allow the dead to bury the dead. What's he talking about? Well, we know he's talking about the spiritually dead, those who don't know him, burying those who are physically dead. But that statement seems so harsh. I mean, it seems so harsh, in fact, that critical scholars, you know, the guys that, that tend to uh, measure everything that Jesus said, they're always looking and trying to say, okay, did he say this or not? And they're sort of always tearing it apart and trying to come to some conclusion, was this actually something Jesus said or not? And because they don't believe the Bible fully, they'll a lot of times come to the conclusion that no, he didn't. You know what they say when it come, comes to this? They say, you know what? I think he actually said this. And they say that because they've determined it's real because no one would have made this up in a typical Jewish setting. It wouldn't have crossed anyone's mind. And followers of Jesus would never have made it up because there's a potential to make it look very negative for Jesus. Sort of twisted thinking on their part, but they come to the right conclusion. Jesus did say this, but why would he say it? What's he talking about? Was he saying that we shouldn't go to funerals? We shouldn't take care of our loved ones? I don't think that's the point. Jesus is making a point about priorities. You want to know what's even more important than, than burying your loved one? Proclaiming everywhere the kingdom of God. Telling others about Jesus. More important than burying your loved one is the message of the gospel. And the fact that Jesus responds that way points us, I think, to the urgency of what we are doing as individual Christians and as a church. Because if what we are doing in sharing Christ is more important than burying our loved ones, then there's nothing in this life more important, is there? That's why it's so important that we are here. It's why it's so important what we do here and what we do as a church and what we do when we leave here. The priority in our lives has to be about the kingdom of God. See, this guy was probably a really good guy. He was all about doing his responsibility in the Jewish culture you know, they, they would, they, 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 burial took place very soon after death. That's why you have Jesus being buried the same day and they take him off the cross. They didn't embalm people. They took him down, they buried him. So this guy, his father had just died. 
It was his responsibility to make sure his father's buried. They even believed that burying your parent was one of the implications of the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother. So he's all about getting his responsibility done. It's a good thing. No doubt a lot of us in here are like that, good, hardworking people who want to get our responsibilities in life done. That's good. But then you can get sort of into maintenance mode, can't you? Making sure those responsibilities are met. It's easy to get caught up in just maintaining. I'm going to maintain my job. I'm going to maintain my family. I'm going to maintain my marriage. I'm going to maintain my house. I'm going to maintain my car. I'm going to maintain the church. By the way, you want to see a dying church? You look at one that's all wrapped up in maintaining. It's, it's sort of like, you know, when you're watching a team, you're, maybe your favorite sports team, and people talk about, hey, my team's not playing to win. They're playing not to lose. You know? Bad news. <laughs> Churches that end up doing what they're doing, hoping not to lose, they're dying. And individuals who are just into maintaining dry up spiritually. Uh, maintain, it makes us feel good. We're getting done what we're supposed to do. All our responsibilities are done because we were raised to be responsible people, and it's way better than being irresponsible. But maintaining alone isn't good enough. See, the question as we look at this guy is that we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to settle for maintenance or are we going to sacrifice for mission? And there's no responsibility more important than the mission we've been given. There's something bigger than our to-do list. There's something worth, more worth living for than all of our responsibilities. What's our priority? Some of us have gotten so caught up in doing the responsibilities of our lives, and we're running the rat race, and we're getting it done somehow, and so we're maintaining, but we're missing the mission we've been given. Jesus says, if you're saying I'm a follower, that's not an option. If you're going to follow me, it's all or nothing. Again, there is no response from the guy. Maybe there's something to think about there. Third guy's like, hey, uh, I'll follow you. I'll, I'll follow you. But, and, and you know he's in danger right there already, don't you? You know, you're always on dangerous ground when you throw in the butt. <laughs> but this guy seems to have a legitimate request. Can't I just go say goodbye to my family? Surely nothing wrong with that, right? I just want to go say goodbye to my family. I love my family. We really, you know, I just, I just want to say goodbye. And Jesus' answer again shocks us. No one, the guy's like, I just want to say goodbye. No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I was just going to say goodbye. You're saying, by me wanting to go say, I'm looking back? 
And a lot of people think when Jesus says this, what he's talking about is looking back at our old life before we knew him and sort of longing for the days, maybe even missing the old sinful life. And I don't think that's what he's talking about here necessarily, completely. He's talking about here good things like family and getting distracted from what we are called to do even by good things. Oh, boy, we've got to be so careful here, don't we? To keep going forward and not be distracted by even by something as good as family. Because as great as family is, as much as we love our families, as much time as we put in, we have to be careful that family doesn't become our God. If it's causing us to get distracted from the mission, if we're neglecting to follow God's word because of it, if we're not in church or if we're comp compromising on some command of scripture because of family or whatever it is, as good or bad as it may be in itself, that's looking back. So if something, good or bad, distracts us, we've got to watch out. And if Jesus is saying something as good as family shouldn't distract us, then again, there's nothing on earth that should distract us, right? So it raises this other question for us. Are our lives marked by undistracted surrender? Just like the others, it's so easy to get caught up in this, especially with relationships and people that we love. But Jesus answers this guy, leaves us again with no middle ground. If we're following him. See, what Jesus has told us is that following him, it's not about reward, what we can get. There's no responsibility more important. There's no relationship as significant. So, are we going to choose comfort over the cross? Are we going to settle for maintenance over mission? Are we going to be marked by distractions or total surrender? I'm not asking those questions to try to get some low-grade sense of guilt. I'm asking those questions hoping for a high-grade sense of gospel. It's all or nothing. The priority of our lives has to be all about letting people know that there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. And nothing we've ever done or ever will do could make him love us less. We have to tell people about that. We have to let them know that has to be the priority of our lives. But even so, with that great love available to us, our priority has to include telling them that without turning to him by faith, through God's grace alone, we are in a desperate situation before God. 
the priority of our lives has to be about showing others how we see his love for us in the cross where he took our sin on himself and paid the penalty for all of us. And we see his power that's available to us to live out the Christian life, to live in a way that's honoring to him. We see that power in his resurrection. That same power that worked there is available to us. There's nothing more significant, more encompassing for our lives than being a part of bringing others into a life-changing relationship with him. That's why we do what we do as followers. That's why we do what we do as a church. Wednesday night, my wife Becky was over in student ministries, helping over there. And um, just a few minutes into the youth pastor's message, uh, a girl stood up and walked out. And Becky followed her out and, and said, hey, where are you going? She said, well, I'm going home. Oh, why are you going home? He sh sh you know, yeah, I've already texted my dad. He's on his way. He's coming to get me. I'm going home. Well, why are you leaving? She said, well, I don't believe like this church. I don't believe, I don't know her exact words, something like this. Pretty clearly, she said, um, I don't believe that Jesus and God are one. That they're the same, that they're equal. I don't believe that, and so that's why I'm leaving. She's very respectful and uh, um, polite, but I'm leaving. And Becky was encouraged her to stay or come back next week. She's like, no, I'm leaving, and I, and I won't be back. And she walked out the door. That's heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking because there goes a girl who's, after just a few minutes, has made that determination and, and knew what, where we were at. But she walks out, be, having been taught by someone what's not true, believing it fully. And she walked out the door and you, and you just wonder, will she ever have that opportunity again? Will she ever hear the truth again? Will her eyes ever be open to the truth? Well, let me tell you what excites me about that. What excites me is that the message that was being given that night was clear enough that after a f just a few minutes, she knew where we were at. That pumps me up. Let me tell you what else is exciting about that. Then that night, Wednesday, this past Wednesday night, over 300 kids, students were over there in student ministries listening to that message. They didn't leave. Where the message is clear and the words being given, that's what we're about as a church. Some of those kids, many of those kids have never been in church before in their life. And they're hearing the message. That's what we're about. 
What are our lives about? Why are we in church here this morning? Why are you here this morning? Why is it important for you to be here? Why'd you come? Did you come hoping to walk out feeling good? Nothing wrong with walking out feeling good. That's great. Enjoy the music. Enjoy getting to see some friends. But there's something higher than that, isn't there? Did you come so that you get charged up to go out and live the life that God wants you to live and to share the truth with those who need to hear it? Because if we're saying we are followers of Jesus, he left us with no middle ground. He drew a line in the sand. Real followers have stepped across that line and they follow him. If you're here today and you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm never, you know, I'm, I'm interested, but I've never taken that step. Well, that's something we would love to talk to you about. How do you take that? How do you become a follower of Jesus Christ? What does that mean? And in just a couple of minutes, we're going to close the service. You can go right back here to this room, right over here to my left, what we call room one, and talk with a pastor. We'll try to answer any questions you have, talk to you about what it means to know him, walk with him through life, know that your sins are forgiven, know that he is walking with you, and that one day you'll spend eternity with him. But if you're already saying, I'm a, I am a follower, I've taken that step, I think what this passage is demanding of us is that we take stock. What it's saying to us is to take some time to ask yourself the question, what am I about? Why am I a follower of Jesus? Is it about comfort or the cross? Is it about maintaining or is it about mission? Am I distracted or is there a total surrender in my walk with him? My encouragement to you today, sometime, that you find some time to ask yourself that question. I can't preach this sermon without telling you it, it challenges me, it convicts me. And what I walk away with is the hope, the desire that you'll take at least some time to think, why are you a follower of Jesus? He leaves us with no middle Stand with me, we'll pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for loving us. We know there is nothing in us that deserves that love, that deserves your grace, that deserves your forgiveness. But you, God, have provided all that we need and more. You've poured out your grace on us, and we thank you for that. Grace that is more than sufficient to cover our sin. And you've called us. You've called us to be followers. 
many of us in here making that claim to follow you. God, help us to make clear in our own minds, in our own hearts, and in the way we live that we are, in fact, by evidence, followers of Jesus. And God, for those that are here today and maybe have never taken that step, I pray, God, that you'd open their hearts and their mind, allow them to see truth, allow them to understand it, and God, give them the desire to to, uh, respond to that truth, to trust in you, know what it is to know you and to walk through life with you. Thank you, God, for another day, another day to serve you. Help us be faithful in it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.